Chapter Sixteen of Ruggles of Red Gap by Harry Leon Wilson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Sixteen. From the innocent lips of cousin Egbert, the following morning, there fell a tale of such cold-blooded depravity that I found myself with difficulty giving it credit. At ten o'clock, while I still mused pensively over the events of the previous day, he entered the grill in search of breakfast, as had lately become his habit. I greeted him with perceptible restraint, not knowing what guilt might be his. But his manner to me was so unconsciously genial that I at once acquitted him of any complicity in whatever base doings had been forward he took his accustomed seat with a pleasant word to me i waited feeling a mite off this morning he began account of a lot of truck i eat yesterday i guess i'll just take something kind of dainty tell clarice to cook me up a nice little steak with plenty of fat on it and some fried potatoes and a cup of coffee and a few waffles to come the judge he wouldn't get up yet he looked kind of mottled and anguished but i guess he'll pull around all right i had the chink take him up about a gallon of strong tea say listen here the judge ain't so awful much of a stayer is he burning with curiosity i was to learn what he could tell me of the day before yet i controlled myself to the calmest of leisurely questioning in order not to alarm him it was too plain that he had no realization of what had occurred it was always the way with him i had noticed events of the most momentous might culminate furiously about his head but he never knew that anything had happened the honourable george i began was with you yesterday perhaps he ate something he shouldn't he did he done it repeatedly he ate pretty much near as much of that sauerkraut and frankfurters as the piano guy himself did and that's some tribute believe me bill some tribute uh, the piano guy i murmured quite casually and say listen here that guy is all right if anybody should ask you you talk about your mixers this was a bit puzzling for of course i had never talked about my mixers i shouldn't a bit know how to go on i ventured another query where was it this mixing and that sort of thing took place why but miss kenner's where we was having a little party frankfurters and sauerkraut and beer my stars but that steak looks good i'm feeling better already his food was before him and he attacked it with no end of spirit uh, tell me quite all about it i amiably suggested and after a moment's hurried devotion to the steak he slowed up a bit to talk well listen here now the judge says to me when eddie pierce comes sourdough he says look in at miss kenner's this afternoon if you got nothing else on i fancy it will repay you just like that 
Well, I says, all right, judge. I fancy I will. I fancy I ain't got anything else on, I says, and I'm always glad to go there, I says, because no matter what they're always saying about this here bohemian stuff, Kate Kenner is one good scout, take it from me. So in a little while I slicked up some and went on around to her house. Then hitched outside I seen Eddie Pierce's hack, and I says, my lands, that's a funny thing, I says. I thought the judge was going to haul this here piano guy out to the Jackson place where he could while away the tejum, like Jackson said. Now it looks as if they was here. Or maybe it was just Hetty himself that was fancy to look in, not having anything else on. Well, so anyway, I go up on the stoop and knock, and when I get in the parlor, there the piano guy is and the judge, and Eddie Pierce, too. Eddie helping the Jap around with frankfurters and sauerkraut and beer and one thing and another. Besides them was about a dozen of Miss Kenner's own particular friends, all of them good scouts, let me tell you, and everybody laughing and gassing back and forth and cutting up and having a good time all around. Well, so, as soon as they seen me, everybody says, Oh, here comes sourdough good old sourdough, and all like that, and they introduce me to the piano guy, who gets up to shake hands with me, and spills his beer off the chair arm onto the wife of Eddie Fosdick in the Farmers and Merchants National, and so I sat down and ate with him, and had a few steins of beer, and everybody had a good time all round. The wonderful man appeared to believe that he had told me quite all of interest concerning this monstrous festivity. He surveyed the mutilated remnant of his steak and said, I guess Clarice might as well fry me a few eggs. I'm feeling a lot better. I directed that this be done, musing upon the dreadful menu he had recited, and recalling the exquisite finish of the collation I myself had prepared. Sausages, to be sure, had their place, and beer as well but sauerkraut I have never been able to regard as an at-all-possible food for persons that really matter. Germans, to be sure. Discreetly, I renewed my inquiry. I dare say the Honorable George was in good form, I suggested. Well, he ate a lot. Him and the piano guy was bragging which could eat the most sausages. I was unable to restrain a shudder at the thought of this revolting contest. The piano guy beat him out, though. He'd been at the Palace Hotel for three meals, and I guess his appetite was right craving. And afterward? Well, it was like Jackson said. This lad wanted to while away the teedom of a Sunday afternoon, and so he wiled it. That's all. Pretty soon Miss Kenner sat down to the piano and sung some coon songs that tickled him most to death, and then she got around to playing ragtime. Say, believe me, Bill, when she starts in on that rag stuff, she can make a piano simply stutter itself to death. Well, at that, the piano guy says, it's great stuff, and so he sets down himself to try it, and he catches on pretty good, I'll say that for him. So we got to dancing while he plays for us. 
only he don't remember the tunes good and has to fake a lot then he makes miss kenner play again while he dances with miss fosdick that he spilled the beer on and after that we had some more beer and this guy et another plate of kraut and a few sausages and miss kenner sings the robert e lee and a couple more good ones and the guy played some more ragtime himself trying to get the tunes right and then he played some fancy pieces that he'd practiced up on and we danced some and had a few more beers with everybody laughing and cutting up and having a nice home afternoon well the piano guy enjoyed himself every minute if anybody asks you being lit up like a main chandelier they made him feel like he was one of their own folks you certainly got to hand it to him for being one little good mixer talk about whiling away the tedium he done it all right all right he whiled away so much tedium there he darn near missed his train eddie pierce kept telling him what time it was only he'd keep asking miss kenner to play just one more rag and at last we had to just shoot him into his fur overcoat while he was kissing all the women on their hands and we'd have missed the train at that if eddie hadn't poured the leather into them skates of his all the way down to the depot he just did make it and he told the judge and eddie and me that he ain't had such a good time since he left home i kind of hated to see him go he here attacked the eggs with what seemed to be a freshening of his remarkable appetite and as yet be it noted i had detected no consciousness on his part that a foul betrayal of confidence had been committed i approached the point uh the belknap jacksons were rather expecting him you know my impression was that the honourable george had been sent to escort him to the belknap jackson house well that's what i thought too but i guess the judge forgot it or maybe he thinks the guy will mix in better with miss kenner's crowd anyway there they was and it probably didn't make any difference to the guy himself he likely thought he could while away the teachum there as well as he could while at any place all of them being such good scouts and the judge has certainly got a case on miss kenner so maybe she asked him to drop in with any friend of his she's got him bridle-wise and broke to all gates he visibly groped for an illumining phrase he he just looks at her the simple words fell upon my ears with a sickening finality he just looks at her i had seen him just look at the typing girl and at the brixton milliner all too fearfully i divined their preposterous significance beyond question a black infamy had been laid bare but i made no effort to convey its magnitude to my guileless informant as i left him he was mildly bemoaning his own lack of skill on the pianoforte darned if i don't wish i'd a took some lessons on the piano myself like that guy done it certainly does help to while away the tejum when you got friends in for the afternoon but then i was just a hillbilly likely i couldn't have learned the notes good 
it was a half hour later that i was called to the telephone to listen to the anguished accents of belknap jackson have you heard it he called i answered that i had the man is a paranoiac he should be at once confined in an asylum for the criminal insane i shall row him fiercely about it never fear i've not seen him yet but the creature should be watched he may do harm to himself or to some innocent person they they run wild they kill they burn set fire to buildings that sort of thing i tell you none of us is safe the situation i answered has even more shocking possibilities but i've an idea i shall be equal to it if the worst seems to be imminent i shall adopt extreme measures i closed the interview it was too painful i wished to summon all my powers of deliberation to my amazement who should presently appear among my throng of luncheon patrons but the honourable george i will not say that he slunk in but there was an unaccustomed diffidence in his bearing he did not meet my eye and it was not difficult to perceive that he had no wish to engage my notice as he sought a vacant table i observed that he was spotted quite profusely and his luncheon order was of the simplest straight i went to him he winced a bit i thought as he saw me approach but then he apparently resolved to brass it out for he glanced full at me with a terrific assumption of bravado and at once began to give me beans about my service your belly tea-shop running down what louts for waiters cloddish louts disgraceful my word slow beggars take a year to do you a rasher and a bit of toast what to this absurd tirade i replied not a word but stood silently regarding him i dare say my gaze was of the most chilling character and steady he endured it but a moment his eyes fell his bravado vanished he fumbled with the cutlery quite abashed he was come your explanation i said curtly divining that the moment was one in which to adopt a tone with him he wriggled a bit crumpling a roll with panic fingers come come i commanded his face brightened though with an intention most obviously false he coughed a cough of pure deception not only were his eyes averted from mine but they were glassed to an uncanny degree the fingers wrought piteously at the now plastic roll my word the chap was taken bad had to be seen to what revived i mean to say all piano johnnies that way nervous wrecks what spells man spells come come i said crisply the glassed eyes were those of one hypnotized in the carriage to the hyphen chap's place to be sure 
fainting spell weak heart what no stimulants about passing house perhaps have stimulants heart tablets er uh, beer things of that sort lead him in revive him quite well presently but not well enough to go on couldn't let a piano johnny die on our hands what inquest evidence witnesses all that silly rot save his life what presence of mind kind hearts what humanity do as much for any chap not let him die like a dog in the gutter what get no credit though his curiously mechanical utterance trailed off to be lost in a mere husky murmur the glassy stare was still at my wall i have in the course of my eventful career had occasion to mark the varying degrees of plausibility with which men speak untruths but never i confidently aver have i beheld one lie with so piteous a futility the art and i dare say with diplomat chaps and that sorts it may probably be called an art demands as its very essence that the speaker seems to be himself convinced of the truth of that which he utters and the honourable george in his youth mentioned for the foreign office oh, i turned away the exhibition was quite too indecent i left him to mince at his meagre fare as i glanced his way at odd moments thereafter he would be muttering feverishly to himself i mean to say he no longer was himself he presently made his way to the street looking neither to right nor left he had in truth the dazed manner of one stupefied by some powerful narcotic i wondered pityingly when i should again behold him if it might be that his poor wits were bedeviled past mending my period of uncertainty was all too brief for some two hours later full into the tide of our afternoon shopping throng there issued a spectacle that removed any lingering doubt of the unfortunate man's plight in the rather smart pony-trap of the klondike woman driven by the person herself rode the honourable george full in the startled gaze of many of our best people he advertised his defection from all that makes for a sanely governed stability in our social organism he had gone flagrantly over to the bohemian set i could detect that his eyes were still glassy but his head was erect he seemed to flaunt his shame and the guilty partner of his downfall drove with an affectation of easy carelessness yet with a lift of the chin which though barely perceptible had all the effect of binding the prisoner to her chariot wheels a prisoner moreover whom it was plain she meant to parade to the last ignominious degree she drove leisurely and in the little infrequent curt turns of her head to address her companion she contrived to instil so finished an effect of boredom that she must have goaded to frenzy any matron of the north side set who chanced to observe her as more than one of them did thrice did she halt along our main thoroughfare for bits of shopping 
a mere running into of shops or to the doors of them where she could issue verbal orders the while she surveyed her waiting and drugged captive with a certain half-veiled but good-humoured insolence at these moments for i took pains to overlook the shocking scene the honourable george followed her with eyes no longer glassed the eyes of helpless infatuation he looks at her cousin egbert had said he had told it all and told it well the equipage graced our street upon one paltry excuse or another for the better part of an hour the woman being minded that none of us should longer question her supremacy over the next and eleventh earl of brinstead not for another hour did the effects of the sensation die out among tradesmen and the street crowds it was like waves that recede but gradually they talked they talked they stopped to talk they passed on talking they hissed vivaciously they rose to exclamations i mean to say there was no end of a gabbling row about it there was in my mind no longer any room for hesitation the quite harshest of extreme measures must be at once adopted before all was too late i made my way to the telegraph office it was not a time for correspondence by post afterward i had myself put through by telephone to belknap jackson with his sensitive nature he had stopped in all day although still averse to appearing publicly he now consented to meet me at my chambers late that evening the whole town is seething with indignation he called to me it was disgraceful i shall come at ten we rely upon you again i saw that he was concerned solely with his humiliation as a would-be host not yet had he divined that the deluded honourable george might go to the unspeakable length of a matrimonial alliance with the woman who had enchained him and as to his own disaster he was less than accurate when he said that the whole town was seething with indignation the members of the north side set to be sure were seething furiously but a flippant element of the baser sort was quite openly rejoicing as at the time of that most slanderous minstrel performance it was said that the bohemian set had again if i have caught the phrase put a thing over upon the north side set many persons of low taste seemed quite to enjoy the dreadful affair and the members of the bohemian set naturally throughout the day had been quite coarsely beside themselves with glee little they knew i reflected what power i could wield nor that i had already set in motion its deadly springs little did the woman dream flaunting her triumph up and down our main business thoroughfare that one who watched her there had but to raise his hand to wrest the victim from her toils little did she now dream 
that he would stop at no half-measures. I mean to say, she would never think I could bowl her out as easy as buying cockles off a barrow. At the hour for our conference, Penup Jackson arrived at my chambers, muffled in an ulster, and with a soft hat well over his face. I gathered that he had not wished to be observed. I feel that this is a crisis, he began as he gloomily shook my hand. Where is our boasted twentieth-century culture, if outrages like this are permitted? For the first time I understand how these western communities have in the past resorted to mob violence. Public feeling is already running high against the creature and her unspeakable set. I met this outburst with the serenity of one who holds the winning cards in his hand, and begged him to be seated. Thereupon I disclosed to him the weakly susceptible nature of the Honourable George, reciting the incidents of the typing girl and the Brixton milliner. I added that now, as before, I should not hesitate to preserve the family honour. A dreadful thing, indeed, he murmured, if that adventuress should trap him into a marriage. Imagine her one day, a countess, a brinstead. But suppose the fellow proves stubborn. Suppose his infatuation dulls all his finer instincts. I explained that the Honourable George, while he might, upon the spur of the moment, commit a folly, was not to be taken too seriously. That he was, I believed, quite incapable of a grand passion. I mean to say, he always forgot them after a few days. More like a child staring into shop windows, he was rapidly forgetting one desired object in the presence of others. I added that I had adopted the extremest measures. Thereupon, perceiving that I had something in my sleeve, as the saying is, my caller besought me to confide in him. Without a word, I handed him a copy of my cable message sent that afternoon to his lordship. Your immediate presence required to prevent a monstrous folly. He brightened as he read it. "'You actually mean to say?' he began. "'His lordship,' I explained, "'will at once understand the nature of what is threatened. "'He knows, moreover, that I would not alarm him without cause. "'He will come at once, and the Honourable George will be told what. "'His lordship has never failed. "'He tells him what, perfectly, and that's quite all to it. "'The poor chap will be saved. My collar was profoundly stirred. Coming here to Red Gap, his lordship, the Earl of Brinstead, actually coming here. My God, this is wonderful. He paused. He seemed to moisten his dry lips. He began once more, and now his voice trembled with emotion. He will need a place to stay. Our hotel is impossible. Had you thought? 
he glanced at me appealingly i dare say i replied that his lordship will be pleased to have you put him up you would do him quite nicely you mean it seriously that would be oh inexpressible he would be our house guest the earl of brinstead i fancy that would silence a few of these serpent tongues that are wagging so venomously to-day but before his coming i insisted there must be no word of his arrival the honourable george would know the meaning of it and the woman though i suspect now that she is only making a show of him might go on to the bitter end they must suspect nothing i had merely thought of a brief and dignified notice in our press he began quite wistfully but if you think it might defeat our ends it must wait until he has come glorious he exclaimed it will be even more of a blow to them he began to murmur as if reading from a journal his lordship the earl of brinstead is visiting for a few days it will surely be as much as a few days perhaps a week or more is visiting for a few days at c belknap jackson's of baston and redgap he seemed to regard the printed words better still the c belknap jacksons of baston and redgap are for a few days entertaining as their honoured house guest his lordship the earl of brinstead yes that's admirable he arose and impulsively clasped my hand ruggles dear old chap i shan't know at all how to repay you the bohemian set such as are possible will be bound to come over to us there will be left of it but one unprincipled woman and she wretched and an outcast she has made me absurd i shall grind her under my heel the east room shall be prepared for his lordship he shall breakfast there if he wishes i fancy he'll find us rather more like himself than he suspects he shall see that we have ideals that are not half bad he wrung my hand again his eyes were misty with gratitude End of chapter sixteen